All right, Hebrews chapter 8. If we look at, look at the book of Hebrews, just for a quick review, uh, three main points of Hebrews chapter 7 and, and Hebrews chapter 8 as we just kind of hit the highlights here are that Christ is a superior priest. There is no priest as high as him. He is the one appointed by God from all of eternity. He is also, uh, Christ's priesthood is a superior in a superior place. So the other earthly priests, and remember where the writer of Hebrews is writing this to a, a predominantly Jewish congregation of people who have been now con, uh, uh, become Christians, but they're still seeing these Jewish activities that are still ongoing. The temple is there. The sacrifices, the priesthood is still going on, but yet Christ has come and fulfilled all of this. And what are they supposed to do now? So he's laying it all out there that all these things that are going on now should have stopped because God put them in place to point to the Messiah that was to come, that was to fulfill all of this sacrificial system, the priesthood, etc. But they kept it going because they rejected the Messiah. So the writer of Hebrews is saying here and lays out in chapter 7 and 8 that Christ is a superior priest. His priesthood is in a superior place as well. So he is not in the earthly temple that was still there in Jerusalem with the priest, Levitical priesthood, still actively sacrificing animals and going through the motions. He says, our priest is not in that building down the street. Our priest is actually in heaven before God the Father. He has gone all the way through the ultimate holy of holies and is in the presence of God the Father. That is our priest. That is the anchor of our soul. Thirdly, Christ has made a superior covenant between us and God. We looked at that last week. We looked at the, the uh, covenant that God made with Moses and the people of Israel and how it was based on what? It was based on their obedience, right? And if they obey, comes the blessings. If they disobey, come the cursings from God. So God is, of course, just. He's perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. And he is it's up to him at any moment. He could punish sin if he wants to on the spot. And this original covenant was based on their obedience. It was based on their works. Did they succeed? Did they keep their end of the covenant? Absolutely not. So you have two parties involved. You have the people of Israel. You have God. A covenant has been made. The condition of the covenant is that God will bless them as long as they're obedient. Was Israel obedient? Absolutely not. Over and over and over again, they fail God individually and they fail God as a nation. The sacrifices had to keep on coming in and keep on coming in. The day of atonement to, to sacrifice to represent all the sins of the nation. The high priest would have to atone for that. And the process was never ending because they were constantly failing and they were constantly receiving the cursings of God. So the new covenant comes along, introduced in Jeremiah, that the new covenant would come and it comes and Jesus announces it the night of his betrayal. We looked at that and I have it on the board for you, but Mark chapter 14, verse 22 through 24. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. So here it is. The new covenant is a sign sealed and delivered, not in a lamb, not in an animal from earth, but is in the sacrifice of Jesus, the Christ himself. The God man presents himself as a sacrifice. And we're going to be looking at looking into that even more in these coming chapters over the next few weeks. So here we have 
Christ is the superior priest. His priesthood is in a superior place. It's in literal heaven, not this temple building that's down the road at that time during in Jerusalem. And Christ has made a superior covenant between us and God because the covenant that he made was based on him keeping his end of the bargain so that he fulfills what we could not do. We could not obey, but yet he represents us perfectly and obeys God perfectly. And in Jesus' own words, fulfills all righteousness. So now this new covenant is not based on us doing. It's based on what Christ has done. So we don't have to worry about will we lose our salvation or have we worked hard enough for it today or will I receive the cursings or blessings of God because our salvation is not based on us and our work is based on Christ. Hebrews 8 uh, verse 12, kind of the highlight of that chapter we looked at also, says, for I will, this is the announcement of this new covenant that comes from Jeremiah, God says, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is huge news that under this new covenant, the sins, the iniquities, the wrongdoings would totally be truly and forever done away with. That God would remember them no, no more true and absolute forgiveness. This is what we can rest in on this side of the covenant. Because we understand that Christ took the punishment on the cross. He paid the price. He was the sacrifice. He was also the priest that delivered himself over for this punishment. He paid the price for our sins so that our sins are erased. You have to be perfect to get to heaven. Is anyone perfect? Only one. And our faith in him is what gets us to heaven. Or else we go there based on our own record and we will not get there. You'll make it to the judgment of God, but of course you will not make it into heaven based on your record or my record. It has to be the record of Christ. All right, let's progress then. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, let's read verse 1 through 5, and then we'll break this apart a little bit. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is also called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. We'll pause right there just for a moment. So he is laying out here this original covenant that Moses and God, people of Israel, was made. God delivers the instructions. Remember, we looked at this uh, to Moses on how to build the tabernacle and how it was just a shadow, just kind of a copy of the true heaven and the true tabernacle that is there. So he builds and constructs this tabernacle. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. So within the tabernacle, you have the holy place. Imagine kind of a long rectangle. And then behind the veil, which the priest can only go into once a year with the blood to represent all of the nation of Israel and their sins. He lights the incense and puts them between he and God. And he casts the blood on the Ark of the Covenant that's behind this veil in the Holy of Holies. Because in this one room represents God. And there is the Ark of the Covenant that continually reminds them of the covenant 
that they and God made. And it was based on obedience, right? But they continually broke God's command. They were not keeping their end of the bargain. So what were they supposed to do? Something had to pay the price. And if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? An animal had to be sacrificed. God sacrificed the first one to clothe them, right? So when Israel sins, they have to make a sacrifice. And humans do sin. We actively sin. And every year, the high priest would have to go through all his cleansing rituals, do all these things, prepare the sacrifice, go into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was on top of the ark and cast the blood on top of the ark. And in the ark is what we're going to look at today. The Ark of the Covenant. We're going to open the Ark of the Covenant up, you've got to say today. Does that remind anyone of a movie from years ago? Opening the Ark of the Covenant? Anybody? No? Indiana Jones? Come on. Nobody? Yes? Okay, okay, okay. Some of you, all right. Indiana Jones. Which one was that? What was it called? Indiana Jones? The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Thank you very much. Good job. Good job, Andrew. All right, so uh, in the movie, they find the Ark of the Covenant, they open it up, and crazy things happen. All right, so hopefully crazy things will not happen in here tonight. Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, though, he lists the ingredients, and there's so much here in these first five passages. We're just going to kind of really dwell on the ingredients of what is actually in the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to look at these three components, and we're also going to be looking at how Christ is, again, the fulfillment He's the fulfillment of the whole sacrificial system. He is the lamb that is sacrificed, that is sent from God. He is the ultimate priest. And even the Ark of the Covenant, how it points to Christ as well. All of these things are done. God gives the instructions to Moses. He makes the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. But all of them are arrows that are pointing at this one that is to come that's going to fulfill it all. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. This one has fulfilled everything. There's no more reason for anyone to look elsewhere. God has sent his Savior. It is Christ. Look no further. All right, so let's look at these three ingredients. Uh, Exodus chapter 16. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. And we're going to look at, first off, item number one, which is the manna that was in the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus chapter 16. We'll begin at verse 1. Take your time and you will want to go there because we're going to spend a moment there. So go ahead and don't rely on me in the screen and verses up there, but go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 16. All right. So the ingredients that are in the Ark of the Covenant, the manna, Aaron's staff and the tablets of the covenant. And we're going to look at these individually. Now, the author here in the in, in Hebrews, verse five, don't flip back over there, but he says above it with a cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. Uh, he was writing to a heavily Jewish population. They knew these things. They studied these things. These things were taught to them. Uh, we don't necessarily know these things as well as they did. So even though he cannot speak on those things in detail, uh, tonight we're going to spend a little detail on these because the better you understand the Old Testament, the more clearly you see the New Testament and the new covenant that Christ makes. All right, so let me apologize ahead of time. Uh, these stories do take a little bit to develop, so we're going to read quite a bit of uh, scripture tonight, which is a good thing, but uh, you do have to kind of stay focused with me. It is a great story, though, very interesting. Let's begin at verse 1 on Exodus chapter 16. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, 
on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Pause right there just for a moment. Obviously, you can kind of see where we're at. The great exodus, which we get the name of the book from in the Bible, has already happened. The Passover event, the parting of the Red Sea. Israel has escaped now. They're in the desert. And instead of being rejoicing and joyful and praising God, they're angry and they turn their anger to the ones who led them out. They turn to Moses and they turn to Aaron and they begin to blame them and blame God for letting them be out there and a little bit hungry at this time. So let's see what happens. Verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but is against the Lord. So verse 9. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. Verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the entire camp. And in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Skip down to verse 31 here. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like white wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Like it, let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to habitable land they ate the manna till they came to the border of land of canaan now this is a great uh supernatural event so for 40 years like uh I, you know we i have a tendency to eat at the same restaurants all the time and i don't mind going to the same restaurant basically every other day i'm totally fine with that some people can't go more than once a week maybe twice a week okay 40 years 
That's, that's a lot of days, something like 15,000 days. They ate the exact same thing. And it was a supernatural act of God, right? God met their physical needs. God sustained them from heaven. It was a gift from God. And for 40 years, this continued on. So they were instructed to gather some together, put it in a jar, keep it and place it in the Ark of the Covenant to remind them that God provides for them. But also we see the fulfillment of this over in the New Testament. If you want to flip over to John chapter 6, begin at verse 22, we'll see here where we have the, the, the climax of this. We have the fulfillment of this where Jesus in chapter 6 feeds 5,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread, the, the fish, and 5,000 people are fed. And we we know just by history that odds are that's just counting the men. So there were women, there were children. So you could multiply that number probably times five. So it could have been around 25,000 people. He feeds, there's food even left over. So again, it's a supernatural act of God, right? God is providing for their physical needs. And they get the connection here that God did this in the Old Testament, provided for their physical needs. He is, Jesus is doing this right now. Let's see what happens in John chapter 6, verse 22. Through 35. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there was there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. This is because Jesus walks across the water that evening. Uh, verse 23, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They wanted more food. He had just fed all these people. It was a completely free meal. Must have been wonderful because now it's time to eat again. And they're all coming back. All right. They want their meal ticket. Verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you are seeking me. Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which a son of man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered him, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? He just fed 25,000 people with a couple of loaves of bread and five fishes, right? They're just now they're testing him. They just want meal number two out of this. What more of a sign do you need? Uh, he goes on to say, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are they wanting here? They're wanting more food. All right, God provided this food every day for 40 years. You just provided a bunch of food. But let's see if you can keep us fed for around 40 years would be nice. We want the buffet. All right, all you can eat all the time. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Here we have the ultimate 
Again, this arrow, this manna that is in the Ark of the Covenant, right? It must be extremely important. It must mean more than just that God fed the people for 40 years. It's more than just reminding them of a supernatural act that happened. But everything we see taking place there, we should see what is it pointing towards? And this is exactly what it's pointing towards here. Jesus references the manna. Yes, God provided that for you, who is also my father. He's claiming here that he is also deity. He is God as well. But he says, don't just work for here and now that your bellies may be filled because they're going to get hungry again. But this is the everlasting bread. Where is that bread? It is I. I am that bread. So Jesus says he is the fulfillment of this manna that God provided for their nourishment. But spiritually, only through Christ can we be nourished. Without that, we look for everything we look for satisfaction in every area that never leads to true satisfaction. People are always hungry. People are always thirsty, looking for all the wrong things to satisfy their soul when only Christ can satisfy that. So we have this manna pointing towards Jesus, all right? The fulfillment of it. Christ even acknowledges that. That is me. I am that. I am the ultimate bread of life. Greater. All right, uh, item number two. Let's move over to there. Look at Numbers 16, back to the Old Testament. This is Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers 16. Very interesting passage. And I'm not going to have time to read as much as I would like to of it, but I do encourage you to, to go back and read some of this. But uh, Numbers chapter 16, I'm just going to begin at verse 1 to kind of set the scene for you here on what is happening. So God had, had, has, has been speaking to Moses he has called Aaron to be the priest. And now there's certain people in the congregation of Israel that don't like that. And they don't think that they should get that special role and that they should assume that role themselves. And this is what happens. Let's read a uh, first one. I'll read for a ways. Probably through verse three. Now, Korah, the son of Izhar, son of Kohath, son of Levi and Dathan and Abram, the sons of Eliab and on the son of Peleth, Sons of Reuben took men. All right, so these main leaders here, they're saying, took some other people with them. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? All right, stop right there. Notice what he says here. What does he say that they all are? Look at the end of verse 3 here. For all in the congregation are what? He uses the word holy. What are we actually? We are sinners. We are the opposite of holy. Only God is truly holy, right? But, but he, so God calls Moses. He calls Aaron, sets them aside to be the representatives for Israel and gives them exactly what is to be done. However, this congregation of Israel, this whole group of people, not every one of them, but many of them send their leaders forward and say, hey, you guys, we are all holy and we don't need you to represent us to God. We're just going to go straight to God ourselves. And this is not a good idea because God had revealed exactly how Israel was to come to him. So on their side, this is a rejection of God's method of salvation. 
And we'll see the same as far as God's uh, providing the method of salvation through Jesus Christ and people rejecting it. This is kind of what's going on here. Extremely similar. God says, this is the way you'll come to me. You will come through my priest Aaron and Aaron will represent Israel. Aaron will do all these things and all the, these cleansing rites to show that I am holy and that he is sinful and he's representing y'all's sin and that you are sinful and that I am holy. You'll be separated from me with all these levels. You cannot come to me unless an animal has been sacrificed to cover your, your sin. And now these people just say, you know what? We don't need that. We don't believe that. We're holy enough. We're good enough. We don't need someone between us and God. Well, let's see what happens. If you know the end of the story, it's, it's quite, uh, quite interesting. Uh, let's skip down to verse 4. When Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he said to Korah and all in his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one who choo he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this, take censers. Uh, Korah and all of his company put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the holy one. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you? And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Again, Moses is laying it out here. Some of these people are even of the Levitical priesthood. That they were the ones supposed to work in the tabernacle. Only Aaron could go in once a year before God. But this is what they're all wanting. They want all to be able to just go in to the presence of God without the sacrificial system, without following God's command of how you approach him. So Moses carries on and continues to tell them exactly what they are supposed to do. Uh, let's look at verse 20. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, separate yourselves from amongst this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin, and you will be angry with all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Datham, and Abram. These three main leaders. So God says, hey, the whole congregation is going with them. They all deserve to be destroyed. Moses and Aaron plead with God, saying, don't destroy everyone. So God says, get away from the camp of these three men. They have made God very angry. His holiness is being tested here. Let's look, continue on. Verse 25. Then Moses rose and went to Datham and Abram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abram. And Dathan and Abram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens up its mouth and swallows them up with all they, they belong to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you will know that these men have despised the Lord. So 
all the congregation of Israel spreads out. There's, there's many, 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 many thousands. Some estimate the number to be up to a million of people uh, that, that spread out and get away from the tent of these men. Moses is speaking. He announces, hey, if these men, if I've just come up with this on myself and I'm keeping you away from God, then let them just die normal causes. But if God intervenes supernaturally to show that he is holy and we are sinners, then you will know. Let's see what happens. Uh, Verse 31. As soon as he had finished speaking these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. for They said, lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. This is an extremely dramatic passage in the Old Testament. It's hard to even visualize what's going on. But these three main leaders have come against God. And they say that they are holy enough to go before God. And not only them, but everyone in the congregation should. And they begin to get other people to come with them, right? So everyone, they have these 250 leaders who say, we can go into the Holy of Holies ourselves. We do not need Aaron to represent us before God. But only Aaron was appointed to do this. God himself appointed the high priest. The high priest can go in to see God. But they say, no, we can do it. We're good enough in and of ourselves Does this reveal that they are sinners? Absolutely. And that God is holy. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, tell. Well, let me skip ahead. Uh, Let me go ahead and skip on down just a little bit to chapter 17. All right. Before we get there, just a couple of questions as you look over this. Uh, Did God act in an unjust manner? Uh, The answer is, of course not. Sin must be punished because God is holy. If he leaves sin unpunished, then he is not holy. He is righteous. He is perfectly just. If he chooses to exact punishment for sin immediately rather than waiting, then he is still perfectly just. These men had rejected God's method of salvation. If the creator of the universe, the one who put the stars into place just by speaking, the one who creates the earth, the one who creates mankind, says, I'm going to give you, even though you've sinned, a, a method of salvation. And here it is. And for these men to say, nah, we don't like that method of salvation. We're good enough to go directly to you. This is huge. This is a huge sin. They are rejecting the method of salvation that God has provided. So they deserve to be punished for it. Uh, What about mercy? Someone may ask. God gave them mercy. He appointed the high priest to represent them. He gave them the method for their salvation. And they rejected that. This should sound familiar to us as well, even today. Uh, We have been given the high priest, the book of Hebrews is saying. We have been given the ultimate high priest who takes us before God. And we can't get there any other way. And people still, though, it's so common today, right, that people think they are good enough that "Ah, I don't need Christianity. I don't need the Jesus stuff. I don't need church. I'm good enough. And I'm sure God, I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to look at me and say, hey, you gave it your best. You gave it a good try. That's all I wanted from you. Come on in. That's what these guys are basically saying. Hey, I'm good enough. I don't need your method of salvation, Aaron. I don't need this method that God has given to you. I'm good enough to get there on my own. But this is exactly what people are doing today. They say, hey, I don't need 
the method of salvation God has given Jesus Christ. I don't need a high priest who is holy. I'm good enough. Well, obviously, what is the fate of that person going to be? It's not going to be entrance into heaven. They do not get to go into the dwelling place of God that they get the eternal punishment from him. So keep these things in mind as we look at this. God had provided mercy and these men chose wrath. They chose justice. Number 17, back, we're getting to the Aaron staff. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and get from them staffs, one from each father's house, from all their chiefs, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs, write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi. For there shall be one staff for the head of each father's house. Then you shall deposit them into the tent of meeting before the testimony where I meet with you. And the staff of the man whom I choose shall sprout. Thus I will make to cease from me the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Moses spoke to the people of Israel. All their chiefs gave him staffs for one uh, one for each chief, according to their father's houses, 12 staffs. And the staff of Aaron was amongst their staffs. And Moses deposited the staffs before the Lord in the tent of the testimony. So Moses would meet before God. All right. Imagine this, that each tribe had uh, one main elder of that tribe that represented that tribe. Then you also have Aaron's staff that represented the tribe of Levi. So 13 dead pieces of wood you can imagine a shepherd's cane, kind of a look to this thing, uh, dead pieces of wood that they would, they would have. And many times these things were passed on down from generation to generation. Uh, grandkids would have their great-grandfather's staff, but it was obviously a dead piece of wood. They were brought before God. Thirteen of these. Let's see what happens. Well, the next day, Moses went into the tent of testimony, and behold, a staff of Aaron... For the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds and produced blossoms. It bore ripe almonds. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the, before the Lord to the people of Israel. And they looked and each man took his staff. Now, this is obviously a supernatural act of God. It is not natural that a dead piece of wood sprouts. It did not just sprout like you rub it. And there's a little piece of a green something there and everyone, hey, look. No, it sprouts. It not only sprouts, but it apparently it produced flowers. It had even produced the fruit. It had even produced the nut. Uh, for something like this to take place, such as an almond tree, to actually bear fruit and begin to produce nuts, it takes years, sometimes five to ten years, for this to happen. It happens overnight. So it's obviously a supernatural act of God. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, put back the staff of Aaron before the testimony to be kept as a sign for the rebels that you may make an end of their grumblings against me, lest they die. What had happened here is the ark is now going to gain as the manna. It is now going to gain the Aaron's staff of Aaron. What does this staff represent? It represents that you'd better trust, right? And God's method of salvation. God chooses who represents people. Aaron had been chosen by God to represent people. They could not come to God on their own. Who is the ultimate fulfillment of this? It is Christ. Only Christ is the method of salvation. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this being in the Ark of the Covenant, it was supposed to remind them the manna that God provides for our needs and also pointing to the Christ. The, the Aaron's rod is in there, letting all of them remember that they cannot go to God on their own. 
They need a representative to go before them. Item number three, let's look at it quickly tonight. One that we're most familiar with, it is the tablets of the covenant. So we have the, the Ark of the Covenant that is made with Israel, with Moses and the people within it. We have these three items now. We have the, the tablets of the covenant. We call them the Ten Commandments that are in the Ark. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And let's look at that just for a moment. 517. And we're going to, we obviously know that, the, uh, that where the Ten Commandments came from, they came from Mount Sinai. God had delivered them. They were put in the Ark of the Covenant. They had to obey these commandments, but they could not. That's why blood had to constantly be thrown and the sacrifice had to constantly come. But here in Matthew chapter 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This is highly important, all right? Because again, all these things are pointing to Christ. The covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was there. The Ten Commandments were in it. And why did the animal have to be sacrificed? Why did the high priest have to come in, sprinkle blood on it constantly? Because the commandments were continually being broken. They could never stop being broken. So the blood was to appease God, to show that the life had been given for the price of this sin that they had been committing. Now, over in the New Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills the Ten Commandments perfectly. This is the blessing of the new covenant, right? That it's not based on their obedience. It's not based on our obedience now. It's based on the obedience of Christ. And in Matthew 5, 17, we see that Jesus has fulfilled the covenant fully. It has been fully satisfied. There is no more need for sacrifices, no more need for blood to be thrown on the Ark of the Covenant because it's been fulfilled completely and totally. So here we have this beautiful story. The Ark of the Covenant, every ingredient in it is pointing to the Christ who has come, the Messiah. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. We're going to touch on verse five and then we'll wrap this section up uh, above it. Above the Ark of the Covenant, if you can picture a, a, a box around three feet long, I believe it's around two feet wide, two feet high. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things. We cannot now speak in detail. So we picture two angelic type beings uh, with wings that are actually going forward over the mercy seat where God's presence was, was manifested. These same angelic creatures are somewhere else in the Old Testament. Anyone remember where we saw them several months ago in a study had to do with the Garden of Eden, right? And Adam and Eve sinned. They're cast out of the Garden of Eden. God's presence is represented by the Garden of Eden. And they're put on the outside of the entrance with a flaming sword in the middle. They protect the presence of God. And here we see them again, even on the tent that would be on the tabernacle that separates the Holy of Holy from the holy place are these two cherubim as well showing God's presence there so here we have these two angels there showing that God's presence is on top of this ark so it's a beautiful thing how all of this is pointing forward to the Christ so let me just fast forward a little bit here um, so what did we do with this information 
uh, we rejoice in it. All right. The, the writer of the Hebrews here is telling them these people are still seeing this temple worship going on. They're worshiping in the temple, but God's presence is not there. It's a broken system. It wasn't meant to continue on forever. God announced a new covenant was coming. The new covenant did come. Christ came, he lived, he died, he gave his blood for the sacrifice, it, it worked, he uh, was resurrected from the dead, ascended back into heaven, it's done, it's complete, they should stop even looking over there, don't even go to the temple anymore, it's an old system that does not work, They're, all those things were supposed to point to Christ, now he has come, so um, it is preposterous for them to keep going back to the same system, but that's what they were doing. Uh, the complete salvation had come in Christ. So in summary, Christ and Christ alone is the one who is the bread of life, the greater manna. He is the high priest. He is the only one that can bring life to our dead souls. Only Christ fulfilled the law perfectly and only his blood was perfect enough to truly and forever satisfy the wrath of God against our sin. So what do we do? We rejoice that this one has come that satisfies everything, and that simply by faith in Him that God gives us, we can be rescued, we can be saved, and He represents us directly to God the Father. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for letting us have such a great Savior. You have provided the method, the only method for our salvation. I pray that no one in here would be like those, like Korah, who, who went against You, and presumed amongst themselves that they were holy enough to enter into your presence. We can't do it. May we understand that you are the only satisfaction of our souls, Jesus. As the manna satisfied them, may we look to the ultimate manna, the ultimate bread of life, Jesus, for the satisfaction of our soul, who provides nourishment for us spiritually for all of eternity. May we understand, even from Aaron's staff that was in the Ark of the Covenant, that there is but one way, and it's through the priest who represents them to God and who represents us to God. And that great high priest is none other than Jesus. May we see the Ten Commandments that are in the ark and realize that we cannot keep them. We would continually fail just like Israel did. But the good news is that you've sent the one who did keep them and who kept them perfectly. And in him, we can have salvation by belief and trust in him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.